Hey guys, a quick interlude before we start this week's episode of The Prestige. We are now part of Kaiju FM, and Kaiju FM have got a Patreon account in which you can help support this podcast, you can help support all the podcasts that Kaiju FM makes. In return, you get sweet rewards like names and credits, and even a Patreon-only podcast called Kaiju, in which I talk about what it's like running Kaiju FM. If you want to support us, please just go to kaiju.fm and follow the links for support. Cheers! Prestige podcast all about films, filmmaking, and film theory. Each show we pick a film, we review it, we talk about our feelings towards it, and we discuss some of the sort of the larger themes and ideas it throws up. And as always, we'll end with our recommendations of further watching inspired by the movie of the week. Before we kick off with the sort of movie of the week, we want to chat about what else we've been watching. So, Sam. I saw a film this week largely on your... Rec- well, not largely on your recommendation, but I suppose partly on your recommendation. It was a film that I wouldn't necessarily have, have bothered to watch. It was the 2016 Magnificent Seven. And it was it was good fun. It was not the original, but then few things are. It mm-hmm. had solid performances from... Well, Denzel Washington was great. Chris Pratt was great. Ethan Hawke, it was, yeah, good good all round. Good, good all round fun, yeah. 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 I, I, I think I mentioned it last time, it's just, it's just, just a fun film. Yeah, yeah. How about you? I have finally, if anyone's following me to knows, finally finished Rogue One. Right. I've been watching this on and off most of the week um, with various bits and bobs, uh, but last night I finally finished watching Rogue One. Now, Sam, have you seen Rogue One? I have, yeah. I can't say I, I recall your reaction to it. Um, yeah, I thought it was all right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, my next reaction was, meh, it was all right. Um, I was a bit disappointed, big Star Wars fan, like Star Wars, wanted it to be great, kind of wasn't. Um, it was just kind of all over the place and and bit dour and dark and just not interesting. Mm. Um, it's Star Wars. I like Star Wars. Star Wars is always you know you always enjoy a bit of Star Wars. Um, but yeah, that was for me. I was actually missing the prequels, <laughs> which isn't the thing I say likely. But it, it it just you know Star Wars is fun. It's a big space adventure. Mm. Um, and this didn't feel fun. It felt grim. So yeah, right. Rogue One. Well, a, a film that you definitely wouldn't describe as grim, although there are several words you would use to describe it, is this week's fair. Yes, yes. Uh, so this week, guys, we are looking at the 1997 film Batman and Robin. This is the way the world could end. Please, show some mercy. With ice. 
with a kiss. Mm. With Benna. I probably should have mentioned this. I'm... Poison. Poison Ivy. And the only man who can stop them. I freeze. I'm Batman. Can't do it alone. Essentially, the fourth part in the ongoing story of Batman. We pick up with George Clooney taking over the role of Batman Bruce Wayne, but returning is Chris O'Donnell, returning is Michael Gurf, Pat Hengel, um, sort of background sort of supporting actors. New additions are Arnold Schwarzenegger playing uh, Mr. Freeze or Dr. Victor Freeze, depending on where he goes, and Uma Thurman playing Poison Ivy or Miss Dr. Pamela Isley. Those are the two main bad guys. We also have bad guy support from Bane, a very different Bane to the one that many people know these days. And also joining the Bat family, you have Alicia Silverstone playing, unlike the comics, in which Batgirl is Barbara Gordon, the daughter of Commissioner Gordon. Here she plays Barbara Wilson, the nephew of Alfred Pennyworth, um, and she discovers the secret and becomes Batgirl. It is... To, to address the elephant in the room, it is often quoted and often listed as the worst film ever made. It is, it tops a lot of polls of worst film ever made. And we'll get to my views on that in time. But Sam, as someone who didn't enjoy last week's, and this feels like last week turned up to 11, I'm intrigued, but... <laughs> Not looking, uh, expecting an answer here of of your reaction to Batman Robin. Right. Well, to address your last point, I would say that I don't think this is the worst film ever made. Mm -hmm. That's about as it's about as as much as I'm going to say about it positively. Um, there's a lot to be said for it negatively. It's just. Actually, no. The, apart from that, the the visuals are good. There are some good sort of sweeping shots of Gotham. I enjoyed that. I enjoyed the um, the form of the statue that you have an establishing shot, and then it turns out they have a chase down it. I enjoyed the music, as I often do in films. I don't necessarily enjoy the rest of them, um, and that was about it. I thought I I found it very strange that. So many people who are good actors could be so bad. Like, George Clooney's good. Uma Thurman is good. Alicia Silverstone, she's done some good work. And you, you put them all together and it's just terrible. I, I, I would question some of that, but I, I, I will, uh, I'll save my views for down the line. No, no, go for it. Go, go for it. Okay, now I, I'm... Now, I think a lot of people are me to mount some sort of spiritual defence of this film. And I don't think that's going to happen, guys. I can't ignore the fact that this isn't a very good film. Um, it is my wife's favourite Batman film. Oh, um, so, how's that going for her? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But uh, the day that Sam and my wife agree on movies is it's going to be an interesting day. I think that... and I, I mean, I must say, I did write a long essay... Um, article on this film previously so I had d dove into its history and its creation quite a lot I l the reason why this film sucks and it does kind of suck is down to two people Uma Thurman and Schwarzenegger mm. 
A. Uma Thurman. She is a bad actress. She is a. She is good if Tarantino's looking after her. Like she's great in Pulp Fiction. She is great in Kill Bill. Those are two films. I'm looking through her her sort of her background history, um, and she isn't good. She's not good. She's in things like The Truth About the Cat's Dogs. She's in things like The Avengers, the, the original bad Avengers. She's in Paycheck. She's in The Producers. She's in, you know, she's in Playing for Keats, Movie 43. Oh, you know, she's on. in Burnt. She is not a good actress. Even Tom Hanks has bad films. He's in the Terminal. Hey, everyone has bad films. I grant you that. I'm literally looking through her filmography now, and I'm looking back, and I'm trying to see a good film that she made after Kill Bill. And there isn't one. There's there's that my super ex girlfriend. Okay. That that was a fun film. That's terrible. Not a good terrible. film, but a fun film. Oh, it was so bad. <laughs> and before Kill Bill, we've got Gattaca. I'll give you Gattaca, made same year as, as Batman Robin. But apart from that, she, she doesn't make good films unless she's been looked up and done here. So she's not a good actress. And Arnie, now Arnie is a strange one because he isn't a good actor, I'm not going to lie to you. But he does serve a very important part of cinema. Like He, he is a certain thing. Mm. If you see what I'm saying. He is... I mean, obviously, his heyday was the 80s, the hard body film movement, um, the that kind of, you know, body beautiful, super-powered sort of hero movement. That, that was very much his goal and, and very much his, his sort of his genre. And he was very good at that. But I wouldn't call him an actor. No. But here, you've got him playing against type a little bit and trying to be this funny guy. And A... Doctor Freeze isn't a funny guy. Like his story is this this uh, Shakespearean tragedy about how his wife is dying for disease and he tries everything. He's driven by this desire and his love for his wife to cure her, and that drives all his his crimes. He is a a sad figure of tragedy. He isn't wearing snow the polar bear slippers and making his henchmen sing along to uh, cartoons and. I just think that I see what they're doing with Emma Thurman and this kind of campy over the top. But she, in all fairness, she does she does go full out for the campiness of of this um, of this movie. I just don't like her. I think she's just a bad actress. And when you've got the two bad guys who are bad, and like I, I will say, you know, last week, Batman Forever, not for everyone, but they they're quite that there is it's a taste thing. You don't like Jim Carrey. You didn't like what he did. But it isn't a bad acting job, if you see what I'm saying, in the same way that Arnie here is horrendously miscast. Mm, yeah. I would say I think that Clooney's good, although he's probably, he's still, he hasn't quite got the expressiveness for it at times. Um, I think that Robin's good. Alicia Silverstone, I've got a lot of love for her because she became famous when I was a teenage boy and, and, and there's a lot of love there for that, for her. But once again, not the best actress in the world. Um, and somewhere, and she, here she's still riding the coattails of a clueless persona, and it's this weird combination of which she, everyone knows her as, as Cher from Clueless, but here she's trying to be that, but also at the same trying to be this biker chick who also is, is a computer nerd, and it, and somehow becomes also a martial artist at some point. So she she's kind of she was a, I think the idea of creating the family is a good idea, but I think it was handled badly. So 
I can't mount a defence of this film because I don't think it's a good film. But I do think that there are some good elements to it. In amongst some bad, and Uma Thurman is a large part of that list, despite what you think. I would actually, picking on what you said, I think not only is Arnie badly cast, but from what you're saying, like the script is really shoddy. It's so... I yes. Mean, given his motivate, like you said, his his sort of mixed motivation, and it paints him as some comic villain when something really tragic has happened to him. Like even even an amazing actor would have had trouble with the corner that they painted him into that character. Exactly, I, I agree. I mean, the film needs to either embrace one way or the other. So it only needs to embrace, you know. Which it kind of to be channeling that the sixty Batman, the, the anime Batman, and either embrace that, and that's fine. Like do that, that's absolutely fine. But then don't try and do Alfred's dying of disease mm. and the tragic tale of Doctor Freeze. You can't, you can't have it both ways. You can't kind of be this campy gloriousness and then all that just to kind of have emotional investment to it. And if they just picked one way or the other, just kind of picked one way or the other, it'd be in much better shape. One thing I did want to talk about, one thing I think this film, for all its faults, does in quite an interesting way, is think about the idea of control and who is in control at any one point. Mm -hmm. Because this seems to be a film in which the bad guys, whether it's Dr. Freeze or Poison Ivy, want to take control and they don't really care the collateral damage in Mm. order for them to do that. And the good guys, it's part of the good guys narrative journey is about learning to trust another person which is about relinquishing control so it batman has to learn to lose control in a certain way or to to let someone else have control and that's something you see in robin as well so there's something central to that that pivotal relationship between the two characters who give the film its name yeah i, I think it's a they're both they're both of them are seeking this control because i think it's interesting that for the first time, we have bad guys whose mission is kind of nothing to do with Batman. Mm. Up until this point, our antagonists have been antagonists of Batman. Yeah, they've had a person of a debt against him or a person of mission against him. Whereas here, we sort of neither of these characters, like as you say, Freeze is trying to get crystals so he can do this experiment to um, save his wife, and in time, comes to freeze the Earth. And then you've got. Poison Ivy, whose mission is to obviously to try and sort of re-embrace ecologicalism, shall we say, on a very extreme level, and sort of to rid humanity from the Earth. So they come up against the Bat family, but it isn't driven by that. You know, as you say, as a great example, Poison Ivy takes control of Batman, and he takes control of Robin at various points in the film, and they are just means to an end. Mm. They're a tool that she takes control of to use rather than part of the master plan. Yes. Maybe that's that's one one of the many reasons why this doesn't work as a film, because it doesn't have that central link between Batman and the and the villains, mm. whoever they might be. There's no I mean, it doesn't make any like Batman's not the greatest detective here. He's just a souped-up policeman. Yes, he's a celebrity. I mean, and that—that that is one thing that I would level against the film that it kind of misjudges Batman. You know, the infamous Bat credit card. 
Yes. And they're, they're there as special guests for the opening event. And it's like, I see how we've got here, given the way the four films have gone. But I feel like it's just, they took everything I loved about Batman Forever and took it too far. Mm. And Batman Forever, for all its, its maniacal craziness, had darkness to it and had fun to it. And this just, it's, it just started, it was just too far. It was just, you know, and... I say this as a nerd who loves like figurines and toys and stuff, but it was clearly a merchandising ploy. It's so merchandising was driven by merchandising, you know. The the final sort of final conflict against Freeze, they've got this sort of bat bike, a bat hovercraft, and like a bat skating thing that Batman drives. And you can see if you watch it, they've all just fought um, Poison Ivy. And then they realise they need to rush over to the um, observatory to fight Freeze. They all change. Mm. They've all got different bat suits on and different vehicles. And it's just, it just, it feels like an overload of style, an overload of these things. And I see what they're kind of trying to do with the idea that as the bad guys grow and get smarter and can circumvent and as you say they can control Batman and use Batman to their advantage you need to bolster the Bat family around them but I think that it, it misses that mark a little bit mm. but anyway enough, enough of bad things moving on to some better things <laughs> I, it, actually I, I don't want to move on because I just want to pick up on that idea of merchandising because that was one of the good lines in this film was when Batman and Robin are sort of tied up with Poison Ivy and then Poison Ivy refuses to fight them because she says this is why Poison Ivy always comes... The the figurine Poison Ivy always comes with this guy or words to that effect. And then, mm. then you have Bane. And I, and I really like that. I like that sort of explicit nod to the fact that this was a film about merchandising. This was a film about kids' toys. And it felt like they they needed more of that awareness throughout, if they were going to go for that. Let's let's change and let's get the hover hover bike and the back backcraft or whatever it is. Mm. Yeah, I, embrace it or or not. Mm, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think I mean that. I mean, my focus on these films often falls into the backroom stuff and what happened behind the scenes, and it feels like a film where, as we discussed, control controls an issue in the back room a little bit like who's in charge of this film Schumacher has gone on record as saying that you know he was it was taken out of his hands and it was pushed more and more by the studio to be this sort of family friendly merchandising film but and you've also got you know only the lead star Batman himself Clooney has gone on record many many times apologising for this film um, and apologising and even going as far as to give refunds to people who, who talk about it with him and I think the, the film feels rudderless you've got the first film without Tim Burton involved uh, is the last film that Bob Kane was involved with but it feels without a direction and whilst you must you didn't like Batman Forever it made a stylistic choice and went somewhere with it whereas this felt as you say it felt, it felt lost it felt like it was being pulled in thousands of different directions mm. and I think it's, it's we talk about control and bringing it back to sort of the narrative I think it's interesting that Batman comes up against some bad guys in inverted commas that he can't fight. How do you mean? I mean Batman generally feels in control of him things going around. He, he knows how to fight. He, he can beat someone up, not a problem. Mm. 
and he has all these toys to kind of combat things. Here, he's the three bad guys in inverted commas, Rigor, are Poison Ivy, who beats him with seduction and wiles and a feminine response, shall we say. Mm. You've got Freeze, who ultimately has better toys. Yes. And you have the the McGregor's disease that's ravaging Alfred, something he can't punch in the face. Mm. And you have these, this Batman... The, 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 the interesting nuggets in the script that you wish had come out, the idea that Batman suddenly up against people who he can't, like Bruce Wayne or Batman can't fight these people, you know, it, not until right at the end they discover these, the, the lips thing to kind of combat against Poison Ivy, but all three of the threats he faces are ones he can't overcome as it is, and the idea that he has to come together as a family to overcome them, but up until now he's been able to sort of just punch someone in the face or throw him off a building and, and a, f- a physical fight that he's good at and he can win suddenly no longer works here that, that's quite good that's sort of well, like you say he needs more people with him he needs to build a family around him in order to be able to respond to these threats that he can't deal with so mm-hmm. maybe this is this is also a film if this is a film about control this is the, a film about the the idea of losing control a bit as you get older and having to rely on other people mm. in order to respond to threats that you can't punch in the face. Well, I mean, you see that throughout, even with Alfred, who clearly is ill and not terrible. Mm. His ageing is, is something that's highlighted here, and he's getting older, and this disease is getting to him. And as you say, Batman himself is getting, whilst he isn't getting older, in respect of the actor, you feel that he, that, that he's getting wearied mm. and needs the support. Um, and, you know, it becomes very much the, the, the line about, you know, if, is a brother a partner with because of Robin? And they obviously try and bring that in with uh, Batgirl as well. And the idea that he's bringing in equals now and he's bringing in, you know... And it isn't... I know... Uh, I, I have seen occasion level that, you know, they've got... They're bringing it... Um, so someone can beat up Uma Thurman. Because you can't have... Either Batman or Robin have a physical fight with him with them, and that isn't going to go down very well. Mm. So they've brought in at least for that narrative function. But there's also this idea of him building a family and building a, a team rather than just a Batman of this solitary figure. And that's something I'm sure we'll touch on when we come back to it uh, next week. Mm. I did think actually, I mean, there was a awful clunky bit of dialogue with. Alicia Silverstone saying feminist things in response to Poison Ivy before she hits her. And it seemed like that was well-meaning. Yes. It sounds damning with faint praise, but I I like what it was trying to do. It didn't succeed, and it was terrible, but I like what it was trying to do. And it's quite... I suppose it's quite progressive for a film. I mean, films aren't known for their for their progressive gender politics, particularly in the late 90s. Mm. So, yeah, there was... I, I did enjoy that. I did... It, while I, Winston, couldn't really look at the screen while I was hearing that awful dialogue come out of Alicia Silverstone's mouth, at the same time, there was a bit of me that thought, yeah, OK, there, there's something successful there. Well, I think there's... there's In a better film, there's a very interesting dynamic between those two characters there. Mm. Because you've got Uma Thurman, who... And, and and this is not me. Anyway, not renowned for being a beautiful woman. No, not unattractive. But she she isn't. You know, she she is at this point renowned for that. Whereas Alicia Silverstone is. 
Lives with and having pop off the back of of um, computers, topping out lists of successful women in the world, that kind of stuff. Got these two actors playing these two characters, in which Uma Thurman's character is smart, mother nature, destructive, but using traditional feminine sexuality and wild and sensuality for her aims. And then you've got Lisa Silverstone, who's this you know, young, blonde, beautiful woman who at no point in the film trades on her looks at any point. Mm. Um, she trades on being an amazing biker, being physically dominant, being smart, and the, the, the combat between the, and the interaction between those two characters and those two viewpoints and the two takes on femininity in a better film would have been very interesting. I think it, as you say, it's clunky and badly done here, but there's there's interesting somewhere in there. There's a nugget of interest. Mm. Even when um, Barbara Wilson first appears, is that name said in Wilson, Barbara. Anyway, she, yep, she yep. F- first appears, and Robin goes to the door, and he's looking up at her, and you kind of think, oh yeah, he's looking up at Skirtle, he's he's looking at her sort of lasciviously, and she mm. just breezes past him, and the only reason she's above him is that she's looking for a key to let herself into this house. She is just, she. there's no sense in which she's playing on her wiles at all. No, exactly. And when you cast on like Lisa Silverstone, you're going to think, you've got this, apparently at this point in the 90s, you've got to think about her looks, and the fact that she'd been in, you know, all manner of airhead videos. And all that kind of thing. So like, it, it, you can't escape the, the, at this point in time release what these actresses were. And I, as I say, I think there's a nugget of interest in there. This film handles it with you know a spade, mm. and it, it, it doesn't come through. But there was an interesting idea there somewhere, I think. Mm. So, Rob, what do you have in the way of recommendations this week? So, having laboured on about her, especially uh, I am going to go with some Alicia Silverstone, or at least one Alicia Silverstone. And this is a film we're going to talk about. It came out two years after Batman and Robin, and in many ways, it's it couldn't be more nineties. Um, is in that the lead two characters are Brendan Fraser and Lee Silverstone, both actors and actresses who have kind of faded, shall we say, since since the nineties. And that is the film Blast from the Past. It essentially, tells the story of a young man, Adam, whose parents. Um, under threat of war, head to a um, a nuclear bunker and live there for 30 years, I think it is. 35 years. At which point he then comes out to find, obviously, the world not destroyed. And it's a rom-com, essentially, of him and Alicia Silverstone falling in love. There's great support from Christopher Walken and Sissy Spacek um, and loads of other people who are in. And it's it's a 90s rom-com in that kind of way that it's an indie and slightly dark in places and funny and not too saccharine. But, yeah, I just really like it. And it's the, probably the one of the last films that Lee Stills made before she kind of started to drop off the radar a little bit. My second film is from four years later. And this is from the same writer. So Akiva Goldsman wrote uh, Batman Forever and Batman and Robin. And Martin may not be the biggest thing on his CV. He did go on to write a film that I quite like. And that's the 2001 film A Beautiful Mind. This is a tale of John Nash, a mathematician. True, true in, in, in with a, a asterisk next to it. Tale of how he came up to his um, sort of his discoveries about game theory and cryptography. And some of the, of the nightmarish elements that his life takes over when he gets involved in cryptography 
I'm not going to say any more with, about that because the film has some twists and turns and some things like that going in it. So I don't want to get people afresh they haven't seen it. But if you haven't seen that, it's a very interesting film. It's written, written, written it's directed by Ron Howard, starring Russell Crowe, Ed Harris, Jeff Connolly. It's a very good film. Um, but yeah, Beautiful Mind, 2001. Sam, what about you? Well, we've talked about them both a lot. And my recommendations are both the female leads in this film. And given how down Rob was on Uma Thurman, um, actually this this is one of the few that he mentioned that he likes an Uma Thurman film. And it's the first Kill Bill film. Mm-hmm. And may, maybe this is because she is um, led by the hand by Quentin Tarantino, but I, I really like it. And I thought there was more of an interesting challenge to the patriarchy in one name, in the name The Bride, than in all of the hammy dialogue between Elise Silverson and Infern. Speaking of Elise Silverson, and we've... Rob has mentioned it already this this episode. I do want to say just how good a film Clueless is. Hmm. And that's my second recommendation this week, because... This, I mean, Rob started with a particularly 90s film. Clueless is also a particularly 90s film. This could not have been made in any other decade. It was a particularly important film for me and Rob, the ages we were when we saw it. Mm-hmm. And it was, it, it's just, it doesn't take itself too seriously. And that's something that couldn't be said about this film, about Batman and Robin. So it's a nice antidote to Batman and Robin. Fair enough, fair enough. So, Sam, what this week? Yeah, next week. Now, <laughs> those of you who know Bob will know that this is not something that he's looking forward to. And you thought he didn't like Tim Burton. Oh, boy. Uh, next week, we, st- <laughs> we start on the Christopher Nolan Batman films. So we start with the first of those, Batman Begins. So this is going to be interesting. Yes, yes, we, we should. No, I, I must say, in defence, I haven't seen any of these films since they first saw them out. Um, so I may have mellowed, I may have changed my mind since then. Uh, I will go to them with fresh eyes, I promise you. Yeah, right. I, 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 you know, I, I, I have a, a, a reputation for being an angry film viewer at times and really not liking certain films. I do say I want to like every film I watch. Right. I really want to like the like. If I invest two hours in a film, I want it to be good. I desperately, I'm only angry when films aren't good when they could have been great. Right. But yes, we shall see next week. Batman begins. Till then, guys, you can find us on Twitter at Pretty Podcast. You can find just me at Life underscore Academic, and you can see me at Rob Koji. And we'll see you back here next week. Prestige is a Kaiju Industries production. Check out their other work at facebook.com forward slash Kaiju Industries. Rawr.